0: Well, people are getting seated, why don't you turn in your Bibles or on your phones or whatever uh, to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we'll start in verse 7. Uh, a woman named Florence Chadwick was an astonishing athlete, absolutely amazing. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. Then on July 4th, 1952, a 34 year old woman got into the water at Catalina Island to swim to the California coastline. That's 21 miles. Catalina Island is just off of, of what, the Los Angeles coastline. She'd be the first woman to do that. When she got in the water, she realized this water is frigid cold. And on this particular day, there was such a dense fog that her, her uh, accompanying boats, her, her training boats that went on each side of her to keep the sharks away, couldn't even see her at times. But it was a historic event, and so people were watching on TV. Millions of people were watching this happen, and and it was a spectacular event. The bone-chilling water was starting to wear her down, so much so that after 15 hours of swimming, she wanted to get into the boat and quit. Her trainer and her mother were in that boat, and they said, no. (laughs) Said, you can do this. You can do this. And so Florence continued to swim for another 55 minutes. That's almost 16 hours. That's you swimming in the crazy cold water until tomorrow morning at sunrise. Wow. Well, after 15 hours and 55 minutes, she couldn't take it anymore. She couldn't see the coastline and she just, the the water, the the circumstance, she gave up and they pulled her into the boat And after she thought out, she made this comment to everyone that was counting on her making it. She says, Look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the land, I might have made it. If I could have seen the land, I might have made it. She was a half a mile from the coastline. Yeah. She said, It wasn't the fatigue and it wasn't the cold, it was the fog. Because the fog beat her because she could not see her goal. The fog had blinded her reason and it evaporated her will. It was the only time in her entire career that she'd ever quit. Because she could not see the coastline. She couldn't see her goal. She had to suffer long, but a little longer. Two months later, there's Florence. Catalina Island, making that swim again. The water was still frigid. But on this day, the fog was just as dense. But on this day, she had her faith intact. And she made it to the coastline. First woman to ever do so. And it was so fast, she beat the men's time by two full hours. Yeah. Fog... Like has a fatigue all by itself, doesn't it? When we lose a vision for the goal, when we can't see the finish line, it, that alone can wear us out. We just think we're in it, and we've been suffering long, and we need to suffer longer still. Even Paul, right, a seasoned veteran, ends one of his letters with just the word, Maranatha. Just come, Lord Jesus. Like, how much longer? This era that we're living in right now, it's called end times in the Bible. This is the time where people can lose their vision for the finish line. We're in between the cross of Christ and the crown of Christ our King, where he comes, returns triumphantly. And it's a hard way to live. In the audience that James is writing, they're significantly and severely persecuted by their government by their neighbors, by their family, even in the context of their careers. They're being persecuted by Mother Nature. (laughs) There's a famine in the land. And since there, the Christians are the runt of the populace. They were the last to get food. And so they were living it. Every day was a choice to persevere. In our lives, that can happen. Maybe sometimes even the persecution some of you are experiencing. But sometimes it's just... Uh, an elderly family member and what that, that toll it pays or your own illness that, that is prolonged. Sometimes it's a prolonged employment. <laughs> sometimes that's worse than a prolonged unemployment. And sometimes it seems like we can live in a state of everlasting loneliness. And it is in that context that James is writing that audience and this audience. He's saying, look, here, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, this is for us to memorize. This is for us to help us understand that even in fog, we can, we can still live for that vision of the prize that we will receive. So before we even look at the, uh, this uh, section of Scripture together, I want you to look for these two key words and a motivation. That'll help you like, grasp what he's saying two key words, the first one is, uh, is the word patient. He's going to use it, f- what, four times in five verses. So, yeah, take note. And patience is a combination of two little words together, and one means long or far off, and the other one is, it means like anger. Is the, the, the Greek word is thumos, and you probably know what that means, like hot and anger and uh, uh, passion, rage. And so a person with patience has a long way before they show that anger. They have, we say they have a long fuse. What do we say about a person that's impatient? They have a short fuse, and then the explosions go off. So that's the word patience. We'll see that a lot. And then the other word is, so. so by, the, by the way, the definition of patience here, patience, long-suffering is, is waiting for the Lord to do what he will do. That's what they're waiting for. They're, wait, they're long suffering for the Lord to do what He can do. The second word that we'll see two times is perseverance. Sounds like a twin sister, but it's more like an Irish twin. It's very much like it, but it means uh, endurance, it means being steadfast. And then three times, James is going to mention the motive for all of this The Lord is soon to return. The Lord is soon to return. Now, just even without, without even reading, we know like no wonder James takes on this persona as a coach, right? Because perseverance, you're going to need that. And keep your eye on the finish line, that sounds like a coach, this is how you win. It's the only way you can win. And that's why he takes on the kind of the role as a master sergeant in those verses where he's yelling at, the, at, at them and at us because he's saying, look, this is how you stay alive. You need to suffer long and never forget the prize at the end of this. Don't take your eye off of that, or it'll get you killed. So it's, now it's making a lot more sense when we look at it. Long suffering is, or patience is long suffering. Suffering long, but a little bit longer for the sake of the prize. So with that in mind, you'll see that this is the the theme of the of. of this section, but I would say it's a theme of the entire book of James. Second sentence in the book says, Consider it all a joy when you encounter various trials. You'll need to persevere. Same chapter 1, verse 12, comes with a promise. Look what he says Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, he will receive a, the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. With all of that in mind, let's read our section of Scripture 7 through 11 of chapter 5. Be patient. Be long-suffering, therefore, my brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. He's being long-suffering. He's patient about it until until it's able to get the early rain and the late rains. You, too, be long-suffering. You too be patient. You strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, don't complain, my brothers and sisters, against one another, for you yourselves yourselves won't be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right there at the door. Now, as an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who persevered. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing with him, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. There's our passage today teaching us how to glorify God with this marathon race called life. He's going to give us three ways to live this life in a way that pleases God and that we won't regret later. Three ways to live. The first way... Is live hopefully. Look what it says in the verse, first sentence there, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, my brothers and sisters. Why? Until the coming of the Lord. Now, that single sentence is like a summary of this whole section and somewhat of the book. Be patient, suffer long because of the coming of the Lord. And he he says that straight up front because he's just telling us deductively what he's going to talk about. He's going to try to make this clear. He's going to make sure we understand what that means. And people that read that say, well, I'm not so sure what exactly that means. Maybe you could give me an illustration. Give Give me something that I do know to understand what I don't know. And so he says, glad you asked. rest of the sentence says this. rest of the verse, new sentence. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of his soil. What's that? That's the crown of life that's promised to us by King Jesus. Okay. Now, you got to be patient there. you got to be patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. And so James's audience says, hey, I'm not sure I understand how to persevere because the Lord's coming soon. Help me. Oh, right, Middle Eastern farming. I get that. Not helping us a whole lot, right? So let me tell you a little bit about what he's referring to here. Uh, at that time, you, even today, you you would plant seeds in August and September. You'd plow the field, you know, loosen up the soil, plant those seeds, leave it there. You want to make sure those seeds and everything in the soil is prepared because the early rains come in October and November, and as those rains come, those seeds germinate and they start building roots. Then they go dormant for the winter time. You come around like March. And you could look out on that field and feel like you have nothing to show for that perseverance or that suffering that took place early, you know, at the end of last year when you're doing all that plowing and harvest and, and planting. Because there's nothing evident. You're waiting for that second rain, because when the second, the late rains come in April and May, now, boom, they just like the, the precious produce pops out of the soil. Now you have something to show for it. He's saying, Look, you can't hurry God on this. Patience is, is long suffering, waiting for God to do what He will do. And we're, we're between the two reigns, the early and the late one. The impatient farmer thinks he can do what God can do because he's, he's, like, he's short fused. <laughs> he's looking at the ground and saying, I don't know, grow, G R O W, grow, do something. He looks up at the sky. This is all he can do is scream at the sky, rain, R-A-I-N, rain. It looks ridiculous <laughs> because he's doing what he can't do or trying to. You know, what? You, there's a name for a, a farmer that's impatient, angry, bitter, depressed, starving, usually. They dig up the soil because it's not growing soon enough. Patience is long-suffering, waiting for God to do what he can do. And we have to live that way right now between those two reigns. So you're probably wondering, well, how do I live that way? How can I have that kind of patience? So James says, yep, I read your thoughts. And so he says in verse 8, so you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Why? Because for the coming of the Lord is at hand. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. The first thing he says is, strengthen your heart. Uh, that's a literal translation. NIV says, stand firm. It means to like, prop up something that's heavy, like your soul, when it's being worn down. Prop it up, stand firm, don't move, don't give, no matter what. There's a beautiful picture of this uh, in the remnants of the Pompeii volcanic eruption. Remember, you know, the story of Pompeii, Just people just were like, Encased in that volcanic ash wherever they were whatever they were doing some people ran to their basements to find safety thinking that would be a good place to go it wasn't others ran to the top of their house to rise above the ash and that's where they were encased the Roman sentinels were found outside the gates weapons in hand standing at attention that's what they were assigned to do They were standing firm. The ground was shaking underneath them. They were slowly being buried by that volcanic ash. And they are enshrined in that phrase, stand firm. Stand firm, he says. And why does he say stand firm? What's the vision, he says, we're to look for? Right there. Verse 7, he said, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, he says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. He said, look at the end of this thing. Look, like you've read Revelation, right? They didn't have that. We do. We win. (laughs) Knowing that we win, like like just play every single down like it's our last. It's like the farmer, you guys know how he works. He has to be patient. The first rain, that's the first Christmas. The late rain, that's the return of Christ. Now, in between those reigns where we live, we need to be patient and be long-suffering. Between the cross and the crown of King Jesus, there's suffering. More suffering. Stay with that. Old Testament saints, it's like this. The Old Testament saints, before this first reign, they lived in faith in the promises of the coming of Jesus. They lived in faith for the first coming, Christmas. We live in faith in the same way towards the second coming, the, the late rain. And I know, it's been 2,000 years and we're still talking about it. And he says, be patient, suffer long, a little longer, live hopefully, live hopefully. And a, a way to apply how do you live hopefully, I'd say this, set your finish line to the very end. To the end of your life. I think people compromise. I think people give up. I think people quit because they have a finish line in their head, but they don't even know it. It's, it's like in the recesses of their souls, and they don't even know when they cross it until they do. But that finish line is way before the end of their lives. It, 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 like... Um, in a career, it can, it can show up like this, where, you know, you're starting off and, and you're going to live with integrity and honesty and, and contentment where you are, the way things are working out. And then, some, I don't know, some birthday rolls around and you're blowing out those candles. And before the smoke even gets to the roof, you, you're like, I should be farther along. I should be in a better place for right now. And the next day, you You go to work and it's like different now. You're starting to cut corners or look for advancements in some way that maybe isn't the best way to do things. You become restless and angry. The little white lies are getting darker. You find yourself going into debt way beyond your means. Waiting for God to do what he can do. Well, he's not doing it. So I'll get it done. That's impatience. That's that's a deadline that's not at the dead end of your life. And so to to live like to live hopefully, you have to move that deadline to where it belongs. And James says, wait waiting upon God to do what he does until he returns. Until that late rain. Otherwise, we become impatient, and we are short sufferers, and it shows up maybe whatever that goal is at work, in our maybe relationships, or in our marriage, the way we parent. And it's just us jumping in there and saying, let me in there. If God won't do it, let me do what God won't do. I mean, it's the story of Bubba Watkins. You guys know Bubba Watkins, right? He's the, he's, he has the fastest time in the 95 meter dash in the world. I mean, no one has ever run 95 meters faster than Bubba Watkins. And the reason you don't know his name is is because it's a 100 meter race and no one cares how fast you can run 95 meters. And Bubba Watkins, he needs to move his finish line to 100 meters and then maybe he could start winning some races. Sounds, Sounds right, right? Move the finish line where James says, until the coming of the Lord. And the coming of the Lord is at hand. Patience is long-suffering. And it's suffering a little longer. Waiting for God to do what he'll do. Not what we will do. And so James is saying, like, you need to be on the lookout for signs of quitting. Here's a, here's a sign of you getting... Tired and wanting to get in the game. Look for signs of quitting. Look what he says in verse nine. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Why? Behold, the judge is standing right there at the door. You can see impatience the short fuse when we start like bickering and and what is he say, complaining? When we when we start getting in there and saying, this is not right, we're, we're going to tar- start looking at our brothers and sisters and groaning at them and, 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 and like sh- holding on to bitterness and resentment. That means that we're not long sufferers. That means that our, our fuse is actually somewhat short. And James is saying, don't quit, man. You're going to regret that. You're going to so regret that. Why is that? He says, because, because at the finish line, Jesus is gonna judge how you treated each other during the marathon. He's gonna ask, hey, how'd that go? You guys are all running this j- crazy ultra marathon called life. Were you, were you heckling each other? Or were you building one another up? Were you bickering or were you encouraging? The judge is right there at the door. He says, live hopefully, live hopefully. For that final finish line. And then next he says, you need to live courageously. We have to live courageously because the quitting points is when it really hurts. And you have to have courage to break through those quitting points. And James is going to help us break through the quitting points by giving us two great examples of men and women that lived courageously. They're going to be prophets and, and Job himself. Verse 10 He says, here's a great example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, long suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, for example. How did the prophets live? They lived courageously. When when the Lord called a prophet into, you know, his his vocation, he didn't say, look, I want you to go out there and win friends and influence people, they're going to love you. (laughs) I think it's almost like a curse. It's almost consistent that if you got called to be a prophet, it didn't go well for you. Even in Jeremiah's life, when he's called early on, he says, God says to him, like, you're going to go and you're going to preach. And no one is going to listen to you. I bet that was a a long-suffering career. It was. Ends up giving his life to it. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's like the Hall of Fame of the Old, Older Testament saints, and it starts off great. I want to be part of this team. It says, they conquered kingdoms. They committed acts of righteousness. They obtained the promises that were given to them. Woo! And then it turns and says, it wasn't all good. Hebrews 11 says, some experienced mockings and scourging, yes, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death by the sword. But they endured to the end. They lived courageously all the way to the end. Uh, Nicholas Ludwig was uh, born into aristocracy in the 1700s in Austria. And he he was supposed to follow his dad's career in government leadership and kind of be rich and famous. And he just got a vision from God to do missions he brought modern era Protestant missions into existence I loved his style it was it was every believer's a minister and so his style of missions was business as missions and he would send men women out that could practice various voca- uh, occupations that became vocations and send them out as missionaries around the world and in his training he said this it's a simple three-point outline everyone Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten, and you'll do just fine. There's a person that understands what it means to live courageously and hopefully. Uh, if, uh, w- the way it's being applied here, I want you to see, is how James is saying how to live like courageously is remember what worked before, and I'm going to add, in your life. James says, remember what worked before, right, in in, in farming? You remember that? That'll help you live hopefully. And then remember what worked before in the the, the saint's life that preceded you? Sure. And I would just say, like, in your own life. We're supposed to live in a way that, like, our past success in long-suffering helps our present endure into the future. We're supposed. We're supposed to live in a way where we're trusting God for our provisions and protection. And even like in a deeper psychological level for uh, like our safety or or our significance and safety. And when we do that, sometimes we're we're continually pressed like harder and deeper at progressive levels. We're supposed to be living lives that only make sense if a sovereign God like intervenes in those circumstances... And when he intervenes, it's it's to make a memory for us in that moment so that we could do it again in the future. In other words, we live lives expecting miracles. For God to do something to, uh, to get that job or something like that house or even that child. And in that miraculous intervention... It strengthens and fortifies that long suffering for that moment, but then gives us a memory for the future long suffering requirements. So that, so that we can, when we can't see the shore, that's the point, when we can't see the end, when we can't see that finish line, we can look back and say, Look, I've gone this far, I've seen the faithfulness of God in the past. And so let me just say, like applying that, when that happens in your life, you etch that in stone. You turn it into some kind of icon. Get a plaque or a kind of memory tool and hang it on a wall, like we celebrated giving away a million dollars. It's part of our folklore now, and always will be during the pandemic. No one was even attending church. <laughs> and we gave a million dollars away. That's gonna help us for our future. Right now, there are millions upon millions of people that have memory tokens, and they're in their pockets right now. They're, they're success chips, they're sobriety, some kind of sobriety chip. And, and they didn't think they could go one day in a, in a, in a, in a, in a situation of soberness. Right? They couldn't long suffer that much. And they made it a month. And so they get a chip and they say, yeah, and some of them have a 15-year chip. And it doesn't mean that they're going to make it through this day. And so when this day happens, they reach into their pocket and they think, you know what? God miraculously gave me last month or the last 15 years, but today, suffer long, a little longer. I want to say no. And they reach into that and they look at that chip and they say, the faithfulness of God is following me, I can see, I I can't see the shore, but I can see God's providence in my life, in my past. Don't quit now. Friends, if you're like there right now, don't quit now. Every time you quit, it makes it so much easier to become a quitter, and you need to not quit today for the future you that's gonna look back at this moment, because your long suffering oftentimes is built on the past. You want to live like, hopefully, and you have to think about that. You look at the past, you look at the old saints. And you look at your old victories. You look back and you say, you know, when I was in eighth grade, I went to that church camp and I realized I had to completely redefine the significance and the security of who I am. And I'm going into my high school freshman year as a whole new person. I will be a righteous child of God. And you know what happens that freshman year? It's painful and lonely because you have to usually start over with a whole new set of friends. And you crawl your way to the finish line called Christmas break. But you look back at that and you say, it was the closest I had ever been to God in that season. And in the depths of that loneliness, I felt the presence of God and his approving hand upon me. We have so many freshman years, don't we? Or the freshman year when you maybe when you go to college, if that was your story, or your freshman year in marriage, and your freshman year as a parent, and you go back to that eighth grade summer camp and that first year of high school, and you said, "You know what? I suffered long a little longer, and I did it courageously, and it was worth it, and so I'm going to live this moment that way, hopefully courageously, and now he's going to say, live victoriously." Live victoriously. Behold, we count a blessing all those who persevere, right? Those who pers- actually do it. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the outcome in the Lord's dealings with him, right? That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. How did Job live? He lived victoriously. Oh, he suffered long in like physical illness, his family was lost emotional financial ruin he was like attacked by the devil himself and in that he was purified and it's interesting that James talks about like the endurance or the perseverance of Job what do we say we say the patience of Job and Job was patient he had a long fuse but the fuse ran out you can read about it three or four times there's anger and rage I'll tell you what he did do. It was the perseverance of Job that he made it all the way to the end. He, he, the one in in chapter 19 says, now I, I, I know that my redeemer lives. And when I say he lives victoriously, at the end of the story it says, and the Lord in his full of compassion and mercy is what the Lord fully brought about in his life that he received twice as much as he had before. So when we talk about living victoriously, I think an easy way to apply that is to choose your heroes wisely. See how James is appealing to a true hero that made it all the way to the end? Who's setting a pace for you? Who who are you choosing to go to to get advice when you want to quit, when you want to give up? Who's telling you the way to make a decision during a very difficult time? James saying, you better choose those heroes wisely. People who have suffered well for a long time. I'm startled regularly when I meet people that are having difficulties in marriage and everyone has difficulties in marriage. It just seems like the difference is, who do you go to when (laughs) your fuse is about to run out? I have, I've seen men seek counsel from other men, and I'll like, that guy's on his third marriage. Well, I can tell you what he's going to say. There's another woman out there. He's a the guy that punts on third and long. I mean, that's when you go for it, not when you give up. I've seen women go to other women, and those are man-hating women. Yeah, they're out there. All men are pigs. I know what she's going to say. You can live without a man. That's who you go to? When you need, like, a pep talk for endurance, you need people that suffer well. Here's how, you, here's how to look for a hero. They walk with a limp and a smile. They have stories, and the stories have maimed them but have not tarnished their soul. They've been purified by that. They waited for God to do what he does. They waited for God to do what only he does. And they suffered, and then they suffered more. Like Job. Choose your heroes well, wisely. Just to close out, I want you to, I want to emphasize this last thing, and that's the motivation all along. The long-suffering, the perseverance, all has a point, all is, answered, is all the questions of why is answered in this thing. Single phrase in many respects, it's this. This is truth. The Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming soon. That's why you do this. And what you're thinking right now, with that phrase up on the screens, and the Lord is coming soon, is the most important thing in your life. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And James says, I want you to know who's coming soon. And he defines this coming king. One of the first attributes he gives him here is that he is judge. He is judge. In verse 9 he says, and the judge is standing right there at the door. And if you remember verse 12 of the first chapter, remember, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Same thing. For once, for, uh, once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised, promised to those who love him. Jesus is the judge, and he's coming with a crown. And he's a coming with a crown for those who persevere, and he cannot wait to give that to you. He promised that. So when, the judge, when you think about him coming, and he's coming, and he's right there at the door, it's like, I, I, I've got something for you. And now it all makes sense, and now it's all worth it. The second set of attributes that are attached to the Lord returning any moment are the last two words in the whole paragraph. Look what he says in verse 11. Behold, we count uh, those blessed that endured, and you've heard of the dealings, uh, you've heard about the endurance of Job, and and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. Look at these definitions of God. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. This is such a funny phrase because James like invents words to make this happen. There's a word for compassion, and he has, he like adds a prefix to it. Mucho compassion. <laughs> he makes up over It's the only time it's ever used because he's like, it's overflowing compassion. The Lord is coming soon, and he is overflowing with compassion and then mercy, pity, uh, empathy, uh, like a, a sense of, of merciful kindness towards you. His last thing that James says in this section is, you are not alone in your suffering long a little longer. God is like God is with you. Run to the Father again and again and again. He knows what you're going through. Yahweh knows a few things about suffering and endurance and perseverance. And he longs to see what those things circumstances have in our potential that we would become mature and perfect and complete and lacking in nothing james said that earlier it means like becoming like christ in all of life and like jesus learned obedience through suffering that's a bible verse it's hard to comprehend but if it was good enough for jesus it's going to be part of our story too it's the only way to learn certain things. Sometimes only pain will tell you the truth. And, G- and James is saying, like, stay in there with this. Do not give this up. Don't quit. Look, I, I don't want to make excuses for myself, but if I'd have seen that coastline, I could have made it. Yeah. Yeah. So picture that coastline. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. She didn't see it the second time. So in the icy waters and the 16 hours of swimming, whatever life is for you, there's a coastline there. And you can make that. You just keep swimming. You can persevere and you can endure if you have a vision for the end. If you don't have a vision for the end, you'll never make it. So, let's do this. Let's get a vision for what that looks like. Why don't we just, like, let's just all do this. Let's close our eyes. And if you want, you can bow your heads. You can open up your hands if you want. But could you envision this? Let's make your life that long-distance swim. And let's not picture you running up on that beach, but rather just kind of washing up on that beach, crawling. Crawling. Spent, done, and now you see the feet of a glorious king. He just radiates, brilliant, and he looks down, and you look up, and his hands are held out, and you see his scars, and you realize, oh, he has compassion, he knows long-suffering, And he has pity towards you and touches you. He just touches you, and that resuscitates you and gives you life and gives you a new body. Your old one is just a husk, it's left behind. And he picks you up and he grabs you by the shoulders, and you're finally able to see him because you have this new body. It's not going to blind you. And he says, I made you a promise. And I'm going to keep that promise. So I have this crown. It's a crown of life. Because you couldn't see the shore, but you believed it to be there. And you took my promises for everything that I said they were. And you lived in hope and all that courage. And now, it's nothing left but the victory. So you just run to the Father. Again and again and again. Because there's a son there, and he knows a few things about how easy it is to quit. And they beat his back. And they gave him that crown of thorns. And they pierced his hands and feet. It would be easy to quit, but he didn't. He endured to the end. And so the father exalted him that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess on earth and heaven and below that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we'll be like him in this part of our life. We will endure. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, come on, amen.